0: to another episode of the doctors and dollars podcast, where we discuss health insights and wealth secrets. I'm your host, Nate Cranell, joined today by Dr. Michael Hirsch. Dr. Hirsch is a practicing gastroenterologist, husband, father, and a coach for physicians. He founded better physician life, physician coaching, because he's passionate about helping physicians through coaching after experiencing the extraordinary benefits of coaching in his own life. His coaching has helped those battling with physician burnout, finding financial independence, rediscovering their love of medicine and how to embrace the discomfort, fear, and failure that comes with their profession. He also co-hosts a podcast with Dr. Arpita Gupta De Palma called Doctors Living Deliberately.
1: Welcome to the show, Dr. Hirsch. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here with you today. Awesome. What's going well today? Well, you know, I think today we are making our way through the holidays and just kind of being grateful for all of the things, not necessarily that I have received, but just the things that I already have in my life has been, I think that has been the defining piece of kind of 2023, the thread that has kind of woven its way through my year is just being thankful for the things I already have. And that I think really felt very powerful for me during the holidays this year. And uh, so, yeah, I think that's what's going well is really leaning into that. That's great. And then I think that's hard for a lot of, a lot of
0: people, especially kids. I mean, if you're really gonna, th- that instant gratification, what's the next big thing? I- I'm big on Instagram. I always, I'm always looking around Instagram. And one of the things I've been seeing lately as we get near the end of the year is like that, there's like this meme of somebody holding a kitten, and it says what you have. And then there's like another cat running away. And it's like, it's what you want. And that you can just tell somebody's like looking at that next cat. And I I just think that's it, you need to embrace what you have. And so I think you said it beautifully, like to be appreciative, to be thankful, to be loving of what you have versus chasing what you want. Although it's really good, you know, as a business owner, it's always good to chase what you want. But it's those meaningful things in life, family, health, uh happiness all of those things that are truly important is and if you have those it's tough to have a bad day
1: yeah I I think you highlight an incredible point here right which it's always good to have dreams and set goals right I I think being grateful for what you have and setting goals those are not uh, mutually exclusive right you can be grateful for what you have and still goal setting And I think this is a a thing that comes up a lot for doctors, right? So what you were just alluding to is what uh, a lot of people will call the arrival fallacy, right? Which is always looking towards the next thing, always setting a goal, thinking that when you achieve that goal, you'll finally be happy. So you're holding your kitten and you're looking at the cat that you really want to have, obviously just for example purposes. And so you start chasing that thing, thinking that you're finally going to be happy when you have it. And the point is, is that you can choose to be happy right now. You can choose to be grateful for the things that you have right now while you're still out there pursuing the other things that you want, knowing that if you get them you'll be just, you know, you you can still be happy there, and you can be happy here and happy along the journey trying to get there. And it's such an important point. I think we as doctors, we always have that carrot dangled in front of us like, oh, you just have to get through college, you just have to get into medical school, and then you'll be happy. And then you just have to get into the right residency, and then you'll be happy. And then you just have to graduate and find the right job, and you'll be happy. And I think what a lot of your audience as physicians will recognize is that the happiness continually eludes you, right? You get to that point, you get to be the attending and you're like, okay, I've made it. And then you're like, Oh wait, that's it. (laughs) And so you're always kind of looking for the next thing and you can be happy the whole time.
0: It's kind of a double-edged sword, right? It it teaches physicians a great practice or a great discipline to be able to set goals, right? You said it, it's, Get through undergrad, get into medical school, find the great residency, there's always goals to push for, which is great, it, it builds up that muscle of setting goals and then achieving them. But then there's the double edged sword of like, once you've gotten to that point, then there's the, the fast paced lifestyle of being a physician, there's the uh, higher income that comes with it, and the, the lifestyle and all those things. And so then you, you always just feel like you're chasing, chasing. Yes
1: hundred percent. Right. And, and I think, you know, you were also talking about goal setting. That's something really important that doctors stop doing when we get to the end of our training. Right. Each step before we complete our training, we are setting goals. We know that in college, our goal is to get into medical school. And in medical school, we know our goal is to get into residency, you know, and then we get to the end of our training. We get the job that we want, hopefully. And we think that we are done. And I think that the lack of goal setting is one of the major things that perpetuates physician burnout, because we forget that that developing goals and setting goals can actually bring so much happiness and fulfillment into our lives as we're working on achieving those goals. And yet we forget we think we've already achieved it right? And we forget that we can continue to set new goals for ourselves, whatever they might be, whether it is a professional goal or a career goal or a family goal, or just learning a new language or whatever is going to give you the full, the fulfillment that you're looking for.
0: Absolutely. And we're definitely going to talk about physician burnout today. But as you brought it up, kind of that how to avoid physician burnout and, and always setting goals like getting to the attending space and then feeling like you're done. Uh, I had Dr. Sina Smith on the show about a month ago, and she was, she is like the epitome of a learner, right? She's like triple board certified and has all these other specialty uh, certifications and all these things. Very impressive. And and one thing that she had said was that like, you always have to be learning. Like if you don't learn something new for 10 years within your specialty, it's aged out. And I don't know if that's, if that's true in, in gastroenterology as well, but like but like eventually 10 years from now, whatever you're doing today is going to seem kind of old. And so she's just always learning, always doing new things. I got to imagine that that helps reduce physician burnout or the urge for it. If you're just constantly learning, constantly
1: pushing yourself. would you agree? Yeah. I mean, I think physicians do love to learn right? And so I think that we have found this fulfillment throughout our lives in pushing ourselves to learn new things, to excel in new areas, in things that we didn't previously know how to do. And yes, I think the field of medicine is changing, but our lives are changing too, right? So it's not just about, you know, staying up to date in, you know, our medical knowledge, but also in our personal development, which I think is, very underemphasized, maybe the the best way of saying it, right? It's something that we don't focus on. We just think that the personal stuff is going to follow along as we move along in our career trajectories, right? And we just expect it to all fall into place. And the truth is that all of this stuff takes effort. And we have to encourage ourselves to continue learning in all the different facets of our lives. Absolutely.
0: And I think if you spend more time within your career, which is my first question here, if you spend so much time in your career, you feel like that's what brings you happiness. And so then you're always developing that. And to your point, then the personal side of things, you're like, ah, those will, that'll all work out. You know, like my wife will take care of it. Kids will be fine. You know, my parents are okay. Like everything just kind of falls where it should on the personal side of things, because you're so focused on your career that you forget that personal development, which is definitely something I want to ask you about today. But you had a fast start. Uh, into your career back in 2009, became an attending physician, Uh, you're full time at a multi specialty group, member of several committees, all the things that a eager young physician kind of is expected to do when they come out. What changed though, five years later in 2014?
1: Yeah. So like you said, you know, hit the ground running kind of a small multi-specialty group and did all of the things a young physician is supposed to do, joined all the committees, engaged in all the things, um, started my family, got my house. You know, these are literally all the things that as we set out from our training, we aim to do. And I would say about, you know, eight to 10 years into that, I just started looking around and thinking like, is this it? Right. Is this? what the rest of my life looks like and you know i remember being an intern 20 years ago and watching the white-haired physicians kind of hobble down the steps at grand rounds trying to as we were just talking about stay on top of their medical knowledge so that they could continue to grow and develop and provide the best care to their patients and i guess i just started to wonder is is this is this what i'm setting myself up for and, you know, I looked at the tr- the very long wait list of patients trying to get in sooner and kind of like the overriding concept of you just need to keep seeing one more patient every day to promote the, you know, the betterment of the group. And it all just started to take its toll and then add to that kind of a prolonged medical malpractice suit that kind of just seemed to, to drag on longer than I wanted it to. And then covid And all of these things really, really started to impact me and my fulfillment and my enjoyment at work. And, you know, I, I, this is kind of when physician coaching entered the picture for me. Um, and I was tremendously skeptical of this. This was not something that I saw and I was like, oh, yes, this is the answer to all of my problems. But instead, (laughs) I was like, I don't know what else to do at this point. Like, this is, you know Michael Hirsch. This is your life, right? For I don't know how <laughs> how many people remember that game show, right? But it was about trying to figure out, okay, this is what you have created, and what are you going to do now? How how are you going to keep going? Yeah, talk about some of the those
0: darker times. So you had your daughter, I believe, in 2014, son sure. in 2017. Everything's kind of looming over it's a malpractice suit that's just kind of dragging along. T- tell me about some of the successes that you tried to find, But you know, as you're trying to balance work and life, you're still trying to stay involved within your, within your practice. Like what were some of the successes that kind of kept you going? And then what were some of those like darker times when you're like, man, it, to your point, this is your life. Like, is this my life?
1: Yeah. So, you know, for me, one of the things that I found was the financial independence retirement early movement. Right. So mm-hmm. I, started realizing, okay, I'm not going to be able to do this forever. So I just need to get out. And so I just need to put my head down and I need to work so much harder so that I can save as much money as possible and just get out. And, um, I would not call this, I I think in some ways, uh, this was a success for me because I think it, um, It encouraged me to lean more into an understanding of my personal finances. I think uh, before doing this, I kind of wasn't really paying attention. I was saving and I was doing what I thought were the right things, but I don't really think I had a good understanding of what I was trying to build. And I think so in, in that sense, it was a success because I learned a lot in that process, and I think on the downside, it just precipitated the burnout that I was already experiencing, right? I think the more I was leaning into the discomfort of work without really addressing what the underlying issues were, the more I was forcing myself into kind of a burnout spiral where I was just not dealing well with all of the things that were happening. And I had some, you know, I had tried to incorporate, you know, i had always been a big Uh, gym goer. So I kind of was managing a lot of this with just going to the gym and, you know, what turned out as, you know, kind of a, uh, something that I enjoyed and that made me feel better almost started to also turn into a bit of an obsession. I would go for these like marathon workout sessions where I would feel great at the end of my workout. And then all the other stuff would slowly creep back in. And, uh, so it, it was a, good thing that I was doing with the exercise, but I wasn't managing the rest of my life well. And so it was kind of almost in a lot of ways a distraction rather than, you know, being what I wanted it to be, which was for the ultimate goal of fitness. Which is
0: good and bad, right? Like it's a good, obviously you're improving your overall health and things like that, but it can be kind of an escape. The distraction is a good word, but I, I like escape in the sense of like, you don't have to think about anything else. Uh, and, and you Put yourself physically somewhere else where you don't have to have to worry about all the other things that are that are looming in your life and and bringing those other kind of darker thoughts in and and so i always yeah as a gym person as well i always think of it as like that's like my anger release like if there's going to be some form of anger management without seeing a a professional it's it's just like your it's your way to get that that rage out and and to i I guess kind of bring you back to to square one if that makes sense
1: right and and yes, and if you don't have the underlying skills underneath it, the anger and the rage and the frustration, it all you know, you walk out of the gym doors, and it all is just right there waiting for you. Yeah,
0: man, that's tough. When when do you think you felt? Because physician burnout, I, I mean, I haven't been doing this too long, but it, it, it's a newer phrase within the professional community, I believe. Uh, not something that you know, thirty years ago, physicians, I don't think, were saying like, man. You hear about Jeff, you know, he had physician burnout. Like, I just don't think that's a thing, was a thing. It is now. When do you feel like that became more popular? And when do you feel like you had that moment where you sat down and you're like, man, is this, is this truly what burnout feels like?
2: The Physicians Financial Summit is coming to Chicago in 2024. Now, the Physicians Financial Summit is probably exactly the opposite of what you think it is. I'm sure you've gotten a free dinner and went to an event where a financial advisor shared a few things and tips and tricks. That's not what this is. You're not going to get a free dinner, unfortunately, and we are not financial advisors. This is going to be an action-packed two days where we break down the exact playbook that I used that allowed me to retire at the age of 33 and is going to guarantee that you are prepared and ready for a prosperous retirement. Now, there's way too much info that I can cover in this video, but I will promise you two things. One, this is going to change your life forever. And two, we are going to make this much simpler than you realize was possible. Just like you break down important and complicated medical stuff for us as patients, we're going to do the same for you. So, if talking about money would make you want to pull your hair out, this is not the event for you. But if you want to see behind the scenes of how the wealthy prepare their financial futures, and what you can do to be better prepared financially, then we will see you there in March, 2024, Chicago.
1: Yeah. I don't think I have ever used, I think until I kind of got into this space as a physician coach, I'm not even sure I recognized what physician burnout is and, and, or was for me, how it was showing up in my life. I think, you're right. This wasn't something that was talked about. It has become easier for physicians to speak about now. But the truth is, I think the career that we were promised now, remember I was accepted to medical school 25 years ago. So I was accepted and in my mind, I had an agreement with what this, with this profession about what my career was going to look like. And that is not how my career has sh taken shape over the last 25 years because healthcare has changed tremendously right it used to be that there were you know it was easy to be a private practice physician it was easy to finish your training and hang up a shingle and become a private practice entrepreneur and with the changes in the healthcare landscape over the last 20 30 years you know, a lot of those dreams have faded away. And with that, a lot of physician autonomy has gone away. And if we're talking about the kind of the singular thing that I think is one of the bigger kind of pushes towards physician burnout, it is the loss of physician autonomy. It is kind of the changes that we've seen in terms of what it is to be employed and, and, you know, in a W-2 employee rather than an entrepreneur right? Physicians were told for years that we're bad at business, but the truth is the business side of medicine, I think is what provided so much fulfillment and autonomy for doctors that kept them from feeling burned out. And a lot of that stuff has gone away. Now there are lots of doctors out there that are looking for ways to recapture their autonomy. And I think that that's phenomenal because we need doctors. We can't have all the doctors running away. And so I think it's great that this, that physician burnout and moral injury and whatever you want to call it has become a part of the conversation because I think it's essential. We are going to need doctors. I'm going to need doctors to take care of me and my family as I age. And if we don't start having these important conversations now and talking about solutions, we're all going to be in big trouble. Yeah. What do you think it
0: is that caused the it's captured the autonomy, uh, you, you know, taken away that that autonomy that was there and and is kind of perpetuating more physician burnout than ever before. Is it the big healthcare systems coming in and buying the little guys? Is it venture capital? Is it? Is it just the I mean, part of it? And again, I've never been in medical school you have but is it? Is it partly medical school where they've, they've kind of taught you like, here's what it looks like to be a doctor, it's go into a hospital and find your specialty and work for work for a hospital and be that w two employee? Or are they really teaching a lot of that entrepreneurial uh, mindset, you know, within residency within medical school to really get that light bulb or that spark going in physicians brains to say, Hey, I'm, this is something I can do. Or it, it, that's a long way of just saying, like, is it the healthcare systems doing it? Is it medical school that's doing it? What is what's causing the Loss of autonomy, but also physicians not really driving themselves to go into private practice.
1: Yeah, so multifaceted question, right? Multifaceted,
0: so, yeah.
1: <laughs> so you know, I think I fit squarely into the general physician community when I say I never fashioned myself an entrepreneur. In fact, I would have pretty solidly told you that I am a physician, not an entrepreneur, right? And I don't think that the medical community is out there telling us this is what you can be or should be. There's just a lot of stuff that is demonstrated before us. And we think, oh, like this is what is available to me as well. And 25 years ago, what was available to me, what was being demonstrated for me were employed academic physicians working at big hospital systems and private practice doctors. And that was pretty much what I saw. And so I knew what my options were at this, at that point in time, I think what is being demonstrated for us more and more is that physicians are employees of big healthcare systems. And so a lot of doctors coming out of training, see this as their main option. They start interviewing big healthcare systems for, you know, jobs that for all intents and purposes look fairly similar. And they're making decisions based on very small nuances of what's, what's being offered. And, you know, in terms of, you know, is there like the quintessential linchpin that, that changed what physician autonomy looks like? Probably not. I think physicians were kind of clutching onto whatever aspect of autonomy they felt like they could have control over. And whether it was, you know, the job that they chose or changing jobs or being able to treat patients the way that they fundamentally want to treat patients with the medicines that they want to be using, I think, you know, these were all different, you know, aspects of what physician autonomy looked like. And as all of those areas kind of simultaneously get eroded, I think that is largely what has happened as physicians say, well, gee, I'm smart, I know how to do a lot of things. And is there something else that I could do that will bring me fulfillment? And that is, I think, a large reason why I got into physician coaching, kind of tying together the two things that we just spoke about, which is that we need doctors to stay in medicine. And there are ways to maintain your autonomy, maybe not in all of the ways, maybe not in all of the ways that you previously thought about but you can maintain autonomy in an employed role as a physician if you choose to. And that is part of the reason why I got into physician coaching. So I am an employed physician and I am a physician coach and I have found ways to maintain my autonomy in all of those areas in ways that resonate for me. And so I want to show other doctors that that's possible. That's awesome. And and you
0: didn't have that before, right? You didn't have those those spirits, I guess, before the, the, the entrepreneurial spirit, the the idea of like, I can do all these other things that will make me happy, outside of being an attending position. So you found coaching.
1: No, uh, yeah, exactly. You found
0: exactly. it right. on a conference call while you're driving home from the office, which is wild. I love that story. Tell yes. me about that call. And then tell yeah. me about your reluctance to dive in head first into having a coach because there, there, yeah. it wasn't like you heard that call. And you're like, I'm getting in there. It, there was some reluctance. Tell me about it
1: hundred percent. Right. So as I mentioned, I was just trying to escape medicine, right? Like that was my goal. That was my grand plan was just get out. And I saw uh, people talking about physician coaching. I was a little bit curious. There was kind of an open physician coaching call. I stayed at work just up until the call was going to start so that I could just listen to it on my drive home. On the call, I listened to a lot of other doctors that sounded very much like me, and I got home, I pulled into my garage and I was like, this is not for me. A lot of these doctors just sound stuck and I'm stuck and I'm not really sure I see a way out after being on this call. And it sounds like maybe there could be something offered here, but I, I'm not sure this is for me. And so I exited the call probably about 15 minutes before the call ended. And I went into my house and I was eating dinner with my wife. And I just told her, like, this is, you know, this is what I did on my drive home. And it sounded okay, but I'm not really sure this is an answer. And my wife just very directly looked at me and she was like, you need to do this. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, we are saving money right now. I'm trying to retire. I don't want to spend my money on anything that I do not. Absolutely. That is not essential for us to be spending money on. And she just looked at me squarely, and she was like, "I really think you need to do this, and I think you need to reconsider." You you
0: had the that syndrome. Have you ever heard of that? The that, that no, tell me. Phat that syndrome is like, well, I'm not that stuck, you know. I'm mm. not that stuck like those guys on the call. I'm not, you know, that unhappy with what's going on, you know, as these people that I'm listening to on the call. It's it's the that syndrome that you had, and uh, yeah. I think your wife just, as as someone on the outside, be like. No, you are that stuck. You are that unhappy with what what you're doing right now. You need to go get that coaching.
1: <laughs> right. I, I was like, no, I have a plan. I know exactly what I'm doing here. She was like, no, I, I think no, no. maybe there's another way. And uh, so I do. I credit her. You know, I think I credit her with just kind of cracking the door open because the following day the coach running that program reached out to me, "Hey, I saw you were on that call last night. Just wanted to see if you had any questions." And even at that point, I was still politely declining. "Thank you so much. I really appreciate that you, you know, ran this call. I don't think this is for me." At which point in time he offered uh to hop on a, on a one-to-one call with me. And on that one-to-one coaching call, directly coached about some of the things that were most impacting me at the time, and it was so helpful, right? I realized where I was giving my power away. I realized what felt out of control for me. I realized where I thought I had given up my autonomy. I actually still had some control. And at the end of the call, I was like, thank you so much. And he's like, so you're going to do it? And I was like, no. (laughs) And then I was asked the pivotal question that kind of changed everything for me, which was, if you don't do this, what will change? And in my answer to that question, I saw hope and I saw possibility and I realized he was right. I needed to do something differently to feel differently. And I leaned into the discomfort of signing up for that program. And there were so many things that happened over the next four months that like just changed my perspective. And when I got to the end of that program, I just was hungry for more. I just wanted more. And I looked around and I saw that so many of the physician coaches in that program were female physician coaches who really mostly wanted to coach other female physicians. And I just realized there needed to be more male physicians out there talking about all of the stuff that you and I are talking about today. Mm-hmm. And that's when I I signed up to be a coach myself.
0: Yeah, so a two part question here, I keep I keep uh, piling on the multifaceted questions for you. But first one is, why do you think it is that there's female coaches, coaching female physicians and not enough males? And two, do you think it's because female physicians have a better time getting over the that syndrome, right? That that they they have that self reflection and the understanding that if I don't do this, nothing's going to change. I mean, what's the worst that happened? You know, you do take that leap, you do the coaching. What's the worst that could happen? You, you spend four months improving yourself a little bit or best case scenario, you absolutely change your life and your family's life and it becomes something incredible. So why do you think of the, the fee, female versus male physician introspective? And do, what do you think the psychology behind that is?
1: Yeah. Uh, big questions. So I would say firstly, I think the experience for female physicians is very different than what it is to be a male physician going through training. I think, you know, female physicians feel this need to consistently prove themselves over and over. And whereas I think a lot of male physicians just come in and they just are, and they expect other people to, you know, accept them and their skills, I think a lot of female physicians feel the need to prove themselves because they are actually asked to prove themselves over and over and over again. And that is something that only another female physician could really understand. It's something I've come to understand as I've surrounded myself in the physician coach community, which again is largely female physicians. Um, and it I think being able to create a community around that has become very important and very empowering for female physicians. I think there's a comfort level in being around people who just understand you. So that's one aspect of it. I think the other aspect is, I think women just in general have an easier time asking for help, admitting that there is some aspect of their life or career that they are unhappy with and that they would like to see changes in. And so I I think for a lot of those reasons, female physicians has have emerged as a community to support one another and there are some really large empowering female physician groups on social media and uh, you know they have there are meetings that celebrate empowering female physicians and we just don't have that as male physicians and so i, I think that is part of the reason why i have tried to create a space that helps male physicians address some of the issues. That's the other thing. I think there are issues that are a little bit separate for male physicians and female physicians, right? And you outlined them, some of of them when you were doing my bio, right? I think many male physicians and men in general see themselves as a provider. And so we see ourselves, it's so important for us to lean into our careers because we are trying to provide for our families. and. We kind of, as we focus so much on being the provider, we lose the ability to be present when we are at home with our families because we're so focused on providing. And so that is one of the things that I have really taken away from physician coaching is finding ways to be more present at home. Now, I'm not perfect at it. Just ask my wife. Mm -hmm. I, I It is an area that I am continually trying to improve. And until I found physician coaching, I didn't even realize that this was something that was missing in my life. Um, and I think also, you know, male physicians just, you know, trying to force ourselves to be the provider or sometimes lean into work situations that are not ideal for us. And we can figure out ways to sculpt a career that is shaped exactly like we want it to look. If we realize we have the power to do that i'm not sure that answered both of your questions i hopefully <laughs> no, did. no those
0: are great insights on the on the difference between, differences between men and women and i think it was it was very well said uh, very insightful my, my thought then goes to there's there's the reluctance to even ask for help in males It's it's a lot easier for women but then even if you do ask for help then there's a reluctance to accept that help and i think that's even harder for men i mean for women to say, Hey, I'm I'm gonna ask someone for help. And then they get it. And then they're like, Okay, I'm gonna be very open, because they're just more. uh, They're more understanding in that sense. I think men will be like, Yeah, sure. I'll I'll ask for help. I'll I'll go get a coach. And then as they're being coached, they're not taking that feedback, or they're not, they're not accepting the coaching. Did, did you feel some of that as you were getting into coaching? Uh, Not not as a coach, but as, as you hired a coach that that four month program? Did you find yourself like, "Uh, I'm, I'm having a hard time opening up to this? Uh, and then do you you probably feel the same way now as a coach, as you get a new client, it's probably like, man, I got to break down some
1: walls here. Well, so that's actually the interesting thing about coaching is that I, you know, w- think about sports coaching, right? You are trying to provide perspective to somebody who's already trying to do something, right? My job as a coach and my coach's job when they were coaching me was not to force me to do something that I didn't want to do. It was just to show me the path to the things that I knew I already wanted. And I think that that is what makes coaching so powerful. And, you know, I think having coaching, I start with coaching about work, right? Because for so many male physicians, this is a huge thing. And coaching about work can feel a little bit easier. But I will tell you that, always. And this was my story as well. I remember coming to my first coaching call to talk about a work issue, something that was so heavy for me. And inevitably, that turned into an issue that was very personal for me, right? So I'll just kind of without going into the details, just because I don't want to take a ton of time. This is a story that I've shared before. Which is, you know, I brought to a group coaching call an issue that I was having at one of the places that I worked. And it was an issue about culture and autonomy and control and how and interactions and and the whole thing. And at the end of the call, at the end of the coaching session, I felt so much better. And I realized that I had the power to change things about how I was showing up in that situation And that actually completely transformed my experience in this particular work situation. But I will tell you that the other thing that came up for me in that call was I hung up that call. I got off that call and I was overcome with the biggest vulnerability hangover I've ever had in my entire life. Because even though we had just been talking about work, I realized that there were so many people on that call who had just listened to my story, who might be judging me, who might be criticizing me, who might be thinking about all of these things, all of these things about me. And I had no control over that. And it brought up all of these vulnerability issues that I knew I had, but never wanted to face. And that had nothing to do with the coaching call. And I was able to bring those vulnerability issues to my very next coaching call to start working on that. So. Nobody forced me to do that. In some ways, I kind of determined my own trajectory through coaching. And I think that is the power of coaching is that nobody forced me to do it. And, and that's how I run my coaching practice as well. We talk about the things that you want to talk about. And we look for ways to get you what you want in life. We never force you to go anywhere that you don't want to go.
0: That is awesome. You're guiding someone to find their own introspection. <laughs> is really what I'm hearing because you went into that call thinking man I have this issue at work and there's there's all these different things you were probably expecting a coach to be like well go fix this at work and then you will feel better but it's what I heard you say is you had this call and they said here's things that you need to work on or change within yourself and that will improve the situation at work it was it was more self improvement not work improvement uh which, which is really powerful and, and is that something that you that you do as a coach? Now, do you you kind of take that same path of, hey, I'm not here to tell you what to do. But here's some guiding principles around uh, self compassion, and uh, introspection, and how to understand all the different feelings that you have going on, which is going to help the outside sources, kind of not weigh down on you so heavy.
1: Yes. And so many times we come into a situation focused on other We're looking to everybody else and and saying, this is this way because of them, right? And instead, recognizing that we are showing up in those situations as well. And the other people in those situations are responding to how we are showing up. And so in coaching, we can take a moment to say, okay, I can't control them. I can't control how they're showing up in this situation, but I can control me. And then in through those coaching sessions, we can also figure out like, well, what do I want to be? How do I want to be showing up in these situations, right? If they are always going to show up the way that they show up, how do I want to show up, right? And there's no judgment there. I can decide I want to show up angry in all of these situations. And then we can coach around, well, how do we coach or how do we, you know, deal with these situations if you know you're always going to be angry in them, but If you choose that you don't want to be angry in those situations, how do we get there? And so it's really all about not just, you know, focusing on how can I be more empowered in these situations, but also what do I want? And coaching, you know, we don't, a lot of times, we don't spend a lot of time thinking about what do I want? And coaching allows for that. It it just gives a little bit of space to something we don't normally think about.
0: Yeah. So as the coach, e. Uh, who who needs to be thinking about what they truly want? How much of your conversations as a coach are uh, career focused? How much are simple human emotion focused? How much are financial focused? Like, what are some of the main pillars that you feel are are the most common with your clients?
1: Yes, and to all of it, right? <laughs> so okay. That's what. Everybody's different. Some people only want to talk about work, and that's totally fine. There's nothing wrong with that because I think our lives can get so much better when we only when we talk about work and solve the problems that are burdening us. You know, you brought up feelings, and oh my goodness, feelings is such a huge part of coaching work. And so many men and male physicians in particular don't want to talk about feelings until I love feelings, Michael.
0: What do you exactly?
1: About Yes. Right. I mean, I remember when I found coaching, I thought I had four feelings. I thought I could be happy, sad, mad, frustrated. And, and that was pretty much it. Right. And I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to see a feelings wheel. This is um, something that I didn't even know existed before coaching. And it is all the feelings on the spectrum that anybody, any human being can feel. And what I have learned is that literally everything you want in life is because of how you think you're going to feel when you get it. So we cannot escape feelings in our lives. Everything that we do is because of how we think it's going to make us feel. And when we can take the stress of not feeling things off of ourselves and just say, look, if I'm going to feel something, if I'm going to have to feel something all day, every day, why not be in more control and actually choose the things that I want to feel and be at the cause of my feelings, not at the effect of my feelings. And that has been, you know, it's so empowering to realize like I can choose how I want to feel. I can choose to feel sad and then be happy for that. And sometimes you do just want to feel sad.
0: Yeah. And it can be really powerful to be a physician and to be able to choose your feelings because I feel like as a physician, especially as a male physician, you are kind of, born into and taught you need to compress your feelings because as a physician you need to use logic in every decision that you're doing don't don't make decisions based on emotions especially in your professional career and then that obviously bleeds over into the the personal side of things and so to have a physician who does uncompress i don't even know if that's the word your feelings to be able to feel the empathy to be able to feel uh the 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 sadness or the the elation Uh, that can come with everything that you do, personal and professional side. I think that makes a pretty powerful physician, if you ask me.
1: Incredibly, incredibly powerful. And, And I will say something else that I didn't really realize before my physician coaching journey is the trauma that pretty much all physicians have endured throughout our medical training and through our careers that we are never taught to process, right? So something terrible happens in room one We are dealing with a very sick patient, maybe a patient who has died, and we're dealing with the emotions that are in that room. And then after managing the stress of that, we have to put our smiles back on and walk into room two and address whatever is waiting for us behind that door. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. That is actually part of our job. And we're never taught to go back and process what happened in room one right? So it's okay, you know, within the stress of, say, the emergency room to move straight from room one to room two, because people need our ongoing care. So long as at some point, you go back and look at what happened in room one, and allow yourself to feel all the feelings of what just happened for you. And there is, it's so powerful to be able to go back and just look at it for what it was, And accept it for what it was and not judge ourselves for what happened in that room so that we can show up to work the following day and do it all over again. And the problem is if you skip the processing of what happened in in room one, it starts to compound all of the things that we were talking about at the beginning of the call with the burnout and moral injury and all the other things that are kind of hiding underneath the surface and make us want to escape.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. I can't even imagine the room one to room two scenario that you just described. My uh, my business partner, Mike Neubauer wrote a really powerful article called Behind the Smile uh, about physicians. He was in a really bad accident a few years ago and has gone to several, you know, physical therapy and doctor's appointments since then. Uh, and just it, one of those realization things of like, man, these physicians put on a brave face, but like they're dealing with me. And then I know they got to go to the next room where something way worse could be happening. Uh, and how do they do it uh, and just us on the patient side of things, we just, we just see physicians as kind of like superheroes, right? We're just like, yeah, you, you guys are fine. You guys are rock solid concrete. Like what you don't need feelings and you don't have any type of emotion or anything like that. You guys are, you know, steady and calm, but you're also human beings too. And I, and I think that gets lost within the patient community. that physicians are, are humans too. And, and you guys do have all those different things. Honestly, you're going to feel emotions even more powerful if you have to deal with the room one to room two scenario. Those are powerful feelings to then just suppress those and then not actually reflect on it later and, I guess, wash it away. Um, I, I get it. And so that's, you brought up a, a phrase a second ago, moral injury. Uh, what does that mean to you? How is that different than physician burnout? Is that the same? Talk to me about moral injury.
1: Yeah. So I, I think these two phrases are. I'll say controversial, not every physician accepts the definitions of, of physician burnout or moral injury, or thinks that these are issues. And so I accept that I accept all opinions on, on what physicians are experiencing. I think the difference with moral injury is feeling like you are showing up to work for something that you don't genuinely and fully believe in. Right. So you are showing up and providing care in a system that maybe doesn't go doesn't mesh well with how you think care should be provided. And whether that is, you know, the healthcare system that you work for or the insurance industry that we all work under um, and all of those things. If we feel like we are not able to provide care in the way that we feel like we should be providing care. That at the at its very core is moral injury. Mm, great definition, and
0: I think we've all felt. I know, I, as you were just giving that definition, I was like, "Okay, I, I've definitely felt that before." In a completely different career, different profession, just makes me feel like that translates just about anywhere. I feel like a plumber could have that, a you know, a, a school teacher, a, anybody could have those. I guess thoughts or feelings of of moral injury. So yeah, that was that was a really good definition. One thing that I think people do accept, uh, and something that's really important to you is finances, uh, financial independence, uh, I saw on your website, definitely something that's super important to you. What does financial? What does that phrase financial independence mean to you? And what strategies have you used in your own journey towards it? And then how do you help coach physicians uh, with financial independence, or even any coaching around finance?
1: Sure. So, you know, I think that this has definitely evolved for me over the last couple of years. I think uh, financial independence for me at one point in time was just saving enough money that could then kind of generate some ongoing income that I could live off of. I think now financial independence for me is uh, it means finding ways of generating income that are not solely reliant on my identity as a physician, right? I know that I can generate income as a doctor, right? And that will likely always be available to me. It might not always be available to me in the ways that I want it to be, but I know that I can almost certainly always find work as a doctor, right? And what are the other ways that I can use my, the, you know, my, my paycheck and my skills to generate ongoing income and stability for my family over time. So I think that has actually been the shift, right? Before it was just like squirreling away money as, as quickly as possible into the stock market and just hoping that that someday, you know, pays off in the way that I want it to. And now I think I've realized that it can be so much bigger than that. And how I help physicians kind of in this arena is figuring out what feels comfortable to you. So many physicians are like really leaning into real estate as another way of, of generating income. And some physicians are not comfortable with that at all. So it's about, you know, first of all, figuring out why you are comfortable or aren't comfortable with it. And then exploring is that how you want to be? Right? Is the person is the physician that isn't comfortable with real estate, they're, they're just afraid and they just need to understand it better. Or maybe they just never want to be a part of it. And that's all of those options are totally fine. But just exploring you, the opinions you have, why you have them, and if it is genuine to you. And if that's what you want, then then that's how we coach around it.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, as someone who's, who's in real estate every single day and, and understanding how that works, I mean, also as a former financial advisor and helping people with the, the stock market things, right? Yeah. I think both are important. They both carry their their purposes. But really, it comes down to, it's the theory of the hole, when somebody buys something, they don't want what it does, they want what it will give them. And so like, people don't buy a drill, because they like the torque, and they like the, the shiny drill bit, they want a hole in their wall, right? That's, that's the outcome they want. And so I think for you to sit down and and be able to talk to people and say, what are your goals? What's that hole in the wall that you're truly getting towards? And then what is the tool uh, or or the vehicle that we can use to get you there? for some people, maybe it's, it is the stock market, and they're, they're just looking to, you know, reduce risk and, uh, you know, find ways to, to be more diversified within a single portfolio. But then there's the other people who are like, Yeah, I want passive income that allows me to buy back some of my time. uh, So I don't have to spend all my time being a physician and earning that paycheck. I want to have other income sources outside of that, that you said it perfectly, that don't rely on my skills as a physician to generate income. And so and so if generating passive income is something that's important to someone, okay, stock market is typically not the tool that you're going to want to use. Here's the other different avenues that we could go down. And if somebody says, Okay, real estate makes me uncomfortable, and uncovering what that is, there's plenty of other places that you can generate passive income that's not real estate. Uh, And so I think that's really powerful, a powerful position for you to be in as a coach. But even a more powerful position is someone being coached to say, hey, I'm going to tell you what my hole in the wall is, like what what my outcome, my desired outcome is. You coach me and, and help me find those paths that get me to that hole.
1: A hundred percent. I mean, I think you, you, you use the correct term, the term that I was searching for, which is diversification. Right. And so many physicians are not diversified because we are you know, we use our physician identity as our sole way of generating income and wealth and figuring out what does diversification really look like for us and how do we use the skills that we already have to amplify that, so. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, there's not a lot of business coaching, business acumen, finance taught in medical school or residency or anything along the way. And so the kind of notion is that a lot of physicians don't have a lot of financial literacy um, just because the path that they took from a career perspective, that's not really something that's super important. When did, when did you find that as, as something that was interesting to you? Uh, I, I, know you talked about it earlier, as far as it, it felt like just sit, turning a small pile of money into a big pile of money. And that was truly, you know, financial independence or, uh, you know, creating a net worth, but what was, what got you interested in finance and then how do you translate that over into your coaching? Uh, to help physicians who maybe that's not a passion of theirs at the moment, but it could be.
1: I I think my story there is, is very similar to a lot of physicians. So I had turned a lot of my knowledge over to someone else and found myself in kind of these insurance products that maybe weren't in my best interest. And it was right after the birth of my son I actually had a conversation with one of my very good friends from residency, and she and I were just kind of chatting about the different things that we were doing, and um I feel so blessed to have friends like this in my life who took me, who was very stubborn and resistant to what she was trying to tell me about the things that I was doing, um, and, and didn't allow my stubbornness to get in her way of trying to just provide me just a little bit of education about something I didn't want to know about. And I got off this phone call, and I guess I it again, same as we were talking about earlier, it just kind of cracked a door a little bit open to realize maybe she was right. Immediately after that, so this would have been around 2017. That's I was when I yeah, you know, yeah, but, yeah. I was right it was exactly. right right after the birth of my son because I was essentially being sold insurance products for my children and in her questioning gently empathic questioning about what I was doing I started doing some research and I stumbled on blogs and I found all of this information she had given me she's like you know don't take my word for it here's all here's some really reputable places to find some more information on these things and I think it just blew the lid off of something that I had been trying to really stifle and, and not spend a lot of time, effort and energy learning about. And it just made me recognize like, no, you, you need to know these things. If you really want to provide for your family, it starts by educating yourself on finances. And, you know, there are lots of people who swear by those insurance products and that's fine. Again, from what, from how, what I do in my personal life, To what I coach physicians around, you know, it's really what resonates for them. And for me, I was not making the right choices in my financial life. And luckily, I was able to find it early enough in my career that I was able to pivot completely and switch all of those things around. And and it really transformed my own financial life. And so my goal in, in coaching physicians around finances is, again, to make sure that they are appropriately educated in the things that they are doing, help them find the resources that they are looking for and make sure that they're just aligning their ultimate goals with how they're showing up today.
0: If people are wanting to find you, um, just enlisting to you today and they, and they say, Hey man, I would love to sit down with Michael and just have a conversation, understand how this coaching works. Is it something for me? Kind of see if they overcome that reluctance like you had with that first call, where can they find you? How can people connect with you?
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much. So, my website is uh, betterphysicianlife.com. Um, on the website, there's access. I've got some blogs, uh, a podcast that you mentioned earlier, Doctors Living Deliberately, tons of free information there. Um, I have uh, some freebies on the website about actually some of the stuff we talked about today, some information about the arrival fallacy, um, and it's all for free. It's all free. I'm also pretty active on LinkedIn. So, you can find me there, Michael Hirsch, MD. And uh, also on uh, Facebook and Instagram, Better Physician Life. And I'd love to connect with people. And if you have any questions, please don't hesitate. I'm happy to answer. That's awesome. What is next for Dr. Michael
0: Hirsch and Better Physician Life Coaching in 2024?
1: Yeah. So I think just leaning into more of the same, I've been really working on kind of, you know, for me, this has been a journey. Uh, Just like I coach other physicians on, I have a coach. And so, you know, we have been trying to figure out what are the... The best ways for me to tell people about what I'm doing. So, trying to get more comfortable with uh, with doing some video content, which uh, has always been a little bit of a struggle. Watching myself, listening to myself, and leaning yep. into the discomfort of all of that. So, hopefully, gonna gonna try uh, some more of that uh, in 2024, and just make sure that these messages are are being portrayed in a way that that people need and want to hear them. That's awesome. Michael, you're, you're a heck of a guy. I've really enjoyed
0: our conversation today. Wishing you the best in 2024 as, as you continue to, to grow and prosper in life. Uh, wishing you nothing but the best and I hope we bump into each other soon.
1: I thank you so much for this opportunity. It's been fantastic chatting with you and wishing you all the best in 2024 as well. Can't wait to see all of your success. Thank you.